leadership would say that the, that talent will be replaced by people uh, coming in from the mainland. Uh, but, but all of this is still in the process of playing out, and it's still a bit early days to say what would be the medium term or the long-term effect of these actions that both countries are taking. Ross, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Taipei-based independent political risk consultant Ross Feingold. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 is up a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is flat and looks like it's going to be a fairly flattish open for the Hang Seng as well in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is at $43.71 a barrel and gold is trading a little bit firmer at $1,812 an ounce. And very little movement in the currency markets. The US dollars at 106 uh, Point nine in Japanese yen. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Karen Coe coming up right after the news. The weather forecast for today mainly fine apart from isolated showers. It's going to be very hot during the day, a maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force and it's going to remain mainly fine and very hot in the next couple of days. But there will also be isolated showers. The temperature is 29 degrees right now, 85% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The United States is imposing visa restrictions on some employees of Huawei and other Chinese technology firms. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said telecom companies around the world should consider themselves on notice that doing business with Huawei meant doing business with human rights abusers. Washington's latest attack comes a day after Britain said it was phasing out Huawei equipment from its 5G telecom networks. The U.K., joins the United States and now many other democracies in becoming clean countries, nations free of untrusted 5G vendors. The United States has a Huawei announcement of our own today. The State Department will impose visa restrictions on certain employees of Chinese technology companies like Huawei that provide material support to regimes engaging in human rights violations and abuses globally. The Twitter accounts of major figures and companies, including Barack Obama and Bill Gates, have been hacked in what appears to be the biggest ever coordinated attack on the network. Fake tweets were posted on victims' accounts asking people to send Bitcoin donations. Here's the BBC's Sophie Long. The tweets, which appeared on the accounts of billionaires Elon Musk and Bill Gates, encouraged people to send thousands of dollars of digital currency to a Bitcoin account with the promise of receiving double the amount in return. Similar posts appeared on Amazon boss Jeff Bezos' account and those of former President Barack Obama and current presidential hopeful Joe Biden. Corporate accounts for both Apple and Uber were also targeted. Records indicate the scammers could have received more than $100,000 worth of cryptocurrency. A spokesperson for the social media platform said they are investigating and taking steps to fix the security incident. President Trump's leading advisor on the coronavirus, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has described efforts by some in the White House to discredit him as bizarre. He said a series of attacks on him reflected poorly on the Trump administration. Dr. Fauci has openly disagreed with some moves by President Trump to open up the U.S. economy, despite a sharp increase in COVID-19 infections. But speaking at the White House before departing for Atlanta, Mr. Trump said everyone was in the same team. Didn't change for me. I've, look, they're all on the same team. We're all on the same team, including Dr. Fauci. I have a very good relationship with Dr. Fauci, and we're all in the same team. 
We want to get rid of this mess that China sent us. So everybody's working on the same line and we're doing very well. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. is Karen Coe. Karen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Hugh. Well, yesterday Donald Trump ordered an end to Hong Kong's special status under US law to punish China, he said, for what he called oppressive actions against the SAR. Citing the decision to enact the national security legislation, he signed an executive order that he said would end the preferential treatment Hong Kong has enjoyed for years. He also signed a bill approved by the US Congress to penalise banks doing business with Chinese officials who implement the new security law. Beijing says it will impose retaliatory sanctions on US individuals and entities and that the order seriously violates international law and basic norms of international relations. What then does this all mean for Hong Kong as the law covers a range of sanctions beyond just the economic? Will we remain an international city? Is the US interfering? Which local officials are in line to be sanctioned? Will this just punish the people of Hong Kong it's supposed to support? And whose fault is all this? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call. We'll put you on air, 233-88266. If you've got something to say, 233-88266. Just one email before we get into this topic uh, from Larry uh, on a a different different theme, uh, who says, uh, I'm grateful to transport workers in Hong Kong, such as bus drivers and MTR workers, who serve the community in the midst of the surge of COVID. COVID-19 infections. Uh, As we grapple with the surge of community transmission, we shouldn't forget to appreciate these unsung heroes. Apart from medical workers, of course, it's unacceptable for passengers to ignore the requirement to wear a mask when taking public transport, as transport workers are exposed to a large number of people on a daily basis. People who break the law and endanger them and other passengers deserve to be punished. That comes from Larry. If you want to contribute, as I say, call us 233-88266. Joining us for the uh, first part of the programme, we have now Andrew Lung, who's an international and independent China strategist and former Director General of Social Welfare in the Hong Kong government. And Michael Chigani uh, is with us, a veteran TV host and journalist, former co-host of this, this programme uh, as well. Uh, Michael Chigani, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. Good morning. Thanks, morning. thanks for, for, for joining us again. Um, do, you, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think this is useful uh, won't this just punish the people of Hong Kong it's supposed to support? Well, whether it's a good idea or not, I really don't know. Uh, it was something that I guess was uh, forced onto the U.S. Uh, to an election, and every time China bashing is an issue when there's an election, I've covered it several times in the U.S. myself, this time it's worse because of the coronavirus, because of the trade war. Um, it, it just depends on how widely and how strongly Trump will use this law to target um, Hong Kong and mainland China. I know that uh, they don't want to specifically hurt Hong Kong people because I've attended some briefings. Um, where uh, it was made clear that they don't really want to hurt Hong Kong people. But they had to show, first of all, the Hong Kong Policy Act passed in 1994, I can't remember now, in 1992, uh, I was actually there in Washington, D.C. and covered it, um, had 
some teeth. And the Congress is very much united on uh, an anti-China theme and uh, supporting Hong Kong democracy. And they passed this law unanimously. So it had to be signed into law by Trump. How he uses it, that, that, that's the key. So, Michael Chigani, do you think mm-hmm. really Hong Kong is uh, kind of collateral damage in this, that you know, this is really aimed at China? I mean, if China has said, by passing this law, we are proving one country, the U.S. is saying, fine, you know, here's how we treat one country. Well, yeah, in a way, uh, if, if you remember mainland officials saying that the uh, security law is the second reunification, and... Uh, that means, uh, and, and they emphasize that one country is more important than two systems. Right now, two systems, you, know, you, you talk about collateral damage. Uh, Hong Kong is not collateral damage. In my opinion, two systems is collateral damage. Uh, it's, 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 it's China's way of showing that they run Hong Kong. They have this perception that Hong Kong is being used as a base by foreign forces to undermine the security of China. Now, I've heard this since uh, Occupy, since the Umbrella Movement. As of yet, uh, I've seen no proof of it. And uh, again, that allegation was made that foreign forces were behind last weekend's uh, unofficial primary. Again, there was no proof. How how did foreign forces interfere with or organize 600,000 people coming out in an unofficial primary. Sometimes it it just kind of makes no sense. And then when they say that they have a right to national security and other countries have national security laws as well, true. I was was in the U.S. uh, during 9-11, and uh, they hastily passed the Patriot Act. That was when planes crashed into buildings. And and therefore you had to do something with national security. And, And it was very targeted. The UK has national security laws, and if you remember, there was like some suicide bombers in the tube, and then they also toughened up their national security laws. Fine, that's understandable. But a couple of weeks ago, when the, when the law was passed in Hong Kong, I think eight people were arrested in the shopping mall for holding up blank sheets of paper. <laughs> you know, how does holding up a blank sheet of paper threaten national security? It, it's, it's that kind of thing that makes you know, virtually the whole world say, sure, you have every right to protect national security, but it's holding up a blank sheet of paper threatening national security. Uh, Andrew Lang, good morning to you. Well, yes, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us. What, what, what about this point that the... Uh, this, this, well, well this, <laughs> this, the action from oh, just the action from the president is is uh, yeah. is saying that uh, Hong Kong has lost its autonomy, um, but then you have, uh, but that's true, isn't it? I mean, and that's what uh, that's what the authorities have been saying that well, one country precedes uh, the uh, two systems, and uh, uh, a lower degree of autonomy is what we need. Well, first of all, as far as the branches of papers are concerned, I mean, it remains to be seen. Uh, whether this would be held up in the in Hong Kong's uh, courts. Um, let's not forget that under the national security law, um, a majority, the vast majority of cases would be dealt with through the Hong Kong legal system, and this is really the bed, bedrock uh, of Hong Kong's one country, two systems. Now, coming back to the um, the whole point, 
uh, why is Beijing doing it? Um, I've, I've been saying that um, for all these years, you know, Beijing is, is, is really allowing the two systems of this um, full sway uh, under the basic law. Uh, that's why Hong Kong has enjoyed a very high ranking in the International um, 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 Freedom Index, uh, even higher than uh, the rating uh, of the United States for many years. But uh, however, as um, uh, uh, many of these freedoms have now been hijacked in the eyes of Beijing um, to foster um, a sense of, of um, separatism um, and then um, moving, uh, moving into uh, more and more open demands for independence. You know, sort of uh, flags are being hoisted um, and even the latest flag, you know, which is a blue and white flag. Um, now, um, of course, it is not just Hong Kong because this uh, kind of movement is very dangerous. It crosses Beijing's very red line because it would impact on what's happening in, in um, Tibet, in Xinjiang, um, and, and of course, uh, let alone Taiwan, um, which is, of course, is um, um, almost a lost case in, in, in any event. But I think that it really uh, Beijing feels um, now it's being pushed into a corner and it's got to do something um, because the uh, safeguard in the basic law, which is uh, um, for national security, which is Article 23, um, remains empty. It has not been enacted. Uh, and there is no way that Hong Kong on itself uh, can ever hope to enact such a law, bearing in mind this kind of deep social division. As I said, the social movement um, in the eyes of Beijing has now been hijacked and weaponized. Um, but um, coming back, to, if you like, to the, the U.S. sanctions, I think that that's been uh, carefully calibrated. Um, in fact, um, uh, the, uh, the U.S. has now formally uh, abandoned uh, the nuclear option, which is uh, restricting uh, Hong Kong's access to the U.S. dollar. Um, and if you know, uh, you can see that even sanctions against um, Chinese officials has now been um, at least uh, not implemented yet. Uh, but I think that these sanctions are meant to hurt, uh, but hurting uh, in such a way as far as Hong Kong is concerned, uh, not to um, 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 uh, at the expense of American interests. Let's not forget that um, apart from the huge uh, trade surplus with Hong Kong, uh, something like 300 billion U.S. dollars, um, there was a lot of um, not only uh, there, were, there were a lot of American companies in Hong Kong, but Hong Kong is the world's fourth largest stock market. And then a lot of American banks are benefiting from that. Um, and of course, the, um, the Hong Kong dollar link is also beneficial to a lot of American interests. But I think that the, the hurt is in the um, export of sensitive technologies. Obviously, it would um, uh, affect some sectors of uh, the Hong Kong businesses, uh, which re relied on some of the uh, technologies. Um, and uh, as far as the tariffs are concerned, it's likely to affect uh, some, um, uh, only a, a minor part, bearing in mind that Hong Kong's exports uh, to America only accounts about two, you know, about two or three percent uh, of the total. So I think that uh, all in all, um, uh, sanctions are, are, are there and it's uh, supposed to, uh, to exert pressure, but that pressure is largely um, directed towards Beijing as part of a 360 degrees pushback against China. Now, um, there are many factors involved in this. First of all, um, many years, uh, well, not, not too many years, decades ago, um, a few decades ago, um, China was helped uh, to join the WTO. The expectation was that China would become more like a stakeholder 
uh, in the world, in the liberal order, led by the United States. And then um, the economy would become more open, um, and hopefully even the society would become more open. Uh, and China would be made um, to play the rules dictated by the United States. But now, after all these years, all this, the hope has now fallen by the wayside. And not only that, uh, China, of course, because it's growing stronger, is defending its own um, interests. Um, the South China Sea, for example, is a, is a vital conduit um, for economic lifeblood, which sustains the stability um, of the regime. And so, um, uh, but however, uh, with the build-up of the Blue Navy uh, in China, um, and what's happening with the island building in the South China Sea, um, it really strengthens Americans' interest because America is the, uh, has been the traditional hegemon uh, in the uh, South China Sea in the Asia Pacific. Um, okay. can, can, I, can, I, can I get you back to... China is now trying to impose a mono doctrine. In, okay. in, in, in. So I think the only law is, must be seen in this broader context. Mm. Um, and then the latest sanctions in Hong Kong, of course, is, um, it goes into the, the, very, um, uh, the values um, held dear um, in America as a democracy. So are you saying that the sanctions uh, they stand won't have a major effect on Hong Kong? No, I'm not, well, I mean, you have um, uh, some in, impact, especially initially. Um, uh, there is no doubt that a lot of people have uh, become uh, anxious and worried. More people are applying for foreign passports. Um, and, and I think that uh, some businesses are thinking of relocating some of this um, um, uh, parts of his business, and even uh, I just saw the news about a few seconds ago, uh, a few minutes ago, um, even the Wall Street Journal is now uh, transferring a third, um, funny enough, why, why, why not the entirety, just a third, uh, it raises questions, uh, but anyway, uh, a third of his staff to Seoul. Does, um, does that make, does it, do we end up with a much less international city? Well, I think initially, compared with what we had, because it was a free-for-all, and that's why Beijing was worried, um, um, mm. compared with what has been happening, um, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I, I have been uh, privileged to, to really spend my whole life, my whole career, uh, before and after the handover, more, more before the handover. And I could see that at the beginning of the handover, it, it was a total hands-off. And I was in the, um, at the time, the Royal Hong Kong Police Force, uh, as a top civilian. Um, but what happened uh, at that time was that even a, a football game uh, before the handover um, was easily arranged. Just a phone call, the football game could be held in, in Shenzhen or in Hong Kong, and the uh, security bureau people would come to play here in Hong Kong, or vice versa. But after the handover, even such a game had to be uh, referred to Beijing for approval. The for fear of any perceived interference, uh, let alone the visit uh, of any uh, Chinese official, however low rank, to Hong Kong. But after the handover, it's no longer possible. The two places are in, 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 you know, so it's intertwined economically, financially, and then full of people, ideas, and so on and so forth. And then for better or for worse, it's going to become a shock. And then after all these years, with all these Chinese tourists coming, um, and then with um, Chinese capital buying up things, uh, and then the perception that Hong Kong's identity is being eroded, uh, and of course that the, um, the battle for uh, so-called universal suffrage um, 
this, of course, uh, is 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 um, uh, a lot of people, Hong Kong people, uh, hold, hold dear. Okay. Now, but if you look at the uh, that universal suffrage, funny enough, uh, the provision for universal suffrage is not in the Joint Declaration. It is a provision um, included in the Basic Law at Beijing's initiative. But the condition, the condition for that, is that um, the candidates must be pre-screened. Okay. Why? All right. Because of the lack of... Okay, okay, we're getting on to yeah. <laughs> a lot of... So, so, of Michael Chigani, do you want to... Part of the dynamic okay. uh, behind all this... Um, all right, Michael Chigani, do you want to respond? Chigani, do you want to respond? Do you agree? I don't really know what part to respond to. I mean, that was really rambling. I don't know how many minutes it went on, touching about football games and joint declarations and basic law and that it was in the police force and this and that. Which, which part would you like me to respond to? What, what, what about the future of Hong Kong? Do you think Hong Kong will, will uh, change? Yeah, of course it will For the change. better or uh, worse? You, you know, uh, well, for me, I think it's going to be changing for the worse. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, people look at it now like your other guests, uh, saying that, uh, you know, there's minimal business or this or that, uh, and, and uh, that there will be some impact. And they're looking at it materially. They're not looking at it from a different perspective. And that is, if the U.S., maybe the targets uh, are not as strong, they haven't targeted the top people yet, they may, depending on what happens, perhaps in the September legislative elections. Uh, it's the image that matters. It's, it's, it's not like, uh, oh, you know, sure, we don't buy that much high-tech stuff from, 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 from the U.S. Uh, not many Hong Kong people now go to the U.S., government officials. Sure, yeah, that's true. But it's the image. And it's like the image that will eventually bite but, it. Do, won't it. Won't it isolate Hong Kong people from, from the US? It'll actually decrease America's role uh, in, in Hong Kong. It'll, uh, all, all these sanctions and so on will dissuade US yeah, companies from... America, so the US will have uh, less influence in Hong Kong, but the US is already, as you know, decoupling from China, right? Uh, now, uh, by... You know, it cuts both ways. If China does what it does, then it'll have less influence with the rest of the world. Uh, and if the U.S. does what it does now to Hong Kong, it'll have less influence in Hong Kong. But if you look at the whole scheme of things, uh, Hong Kong really is not that important to the U.S. Sure, you know, they, they have a trade surplus with, with Hong Kong, which is true. Uh, as I said, I covered the 1992 Hong Kong Policy Act. At that point, nobody complained. Everybody welcomed it. And then now they're saying that that's an interference in Hong Kong's domestic affairs. It's an American law passed by the American Congress. How is that interfering with Hong Kong or China's domestic affairs? It's an American law. And then now they're taking it away and they say, why are you doing this? And then they're imposing... Uh, the Hong Kong Autonomy Act on Hong Kong. But that, again, is an American law. It's not a Hong Kong law. America can choose to do what it wants to if it thinks it is in its best interest, if it thinks it is standing up to human rights or whatever. In the same way, China can cho choose to do what it wants to, like banning Google, banning uh, Facebook, banning Twitter in China, and, and uh, banning salmon from 
Norway or wherever because the Nobel Peace Prize was given to a Chinese person or threatening the Australian government with, uh, with a ban on beef and barley because they want to have an investigation into the coronavirus. You know, every country has a right to do what it wants to do if it feels it is in its best interest, right? I mean, everything that's been leveled against the United States against what it's doing to China, China has done to other countries. Right. It has yeah. stopped tourists going to South Korea, it has stopped tourists going to Japan. If it feels it is in its own interest, then it'll do it. Okay, we've got a couple of questions from, from listeners I'd like to put to you. First of all, this is for Michael Chigani. Alonzo says, uh, what positives have last year's protests achieved for Hong Kong? Have they helped Hong Kong in its path towards universal suffrage? Have they helped the economy? Have they strengthened our rights? Have they boosted freedom of speech? Have they unified society? In a nutshell, is Hong Kong better off today than it was 18 months ago? Most objective observers would say that the answer to all the aforementioned rhetorical questions is no. Does Michael Chigani agree that the protests have severely damaged Hong Kong? You know, I wouldn't disagree with that. Uh that the protest, as, as was with the umbrella movement, it failed to achieve universal suffrage. Uh, the protest did not achieve what it... Well, it did achieve one thing. You know, you asked at the opening of this program, whose fault is it? If you look back to last year, when Carrie Lam uh, wanted to pass the extradition bill, uh, one million people turned up, then two million people turned up, she refused to listen and then they turned violent. Now, that violence produced that one thing, that the bill was withdrawn, okay? So that's the one thing that it did produce. But then what that meant was, after having withdrawn the extradition bill, the protests continued, and then it produced something negative, the Hong Kong, uh, the national security law, right? Okay, so then, in that sense, that protest did not achieve what it wanted to achieve. But what that protest did show was there is really, really a huge, huge feeling amongst Hong Kong people that something is not right. Now, from that sense, I think it has achieved something. It has brought out a kind of feeling that something is wrong in Hong Kong. You know, some, something needs to be fixed. Yesterday, Carrie Lam gave an interview. I don't know why these government officials now only do interviews with mainland media, but, you know, so that's the case and so be it, uh, saying that Hong Kong people need to be educated. It'll take years. Educated in what way? How do you educate people who have a totally different philosophy from people across the border? Do you educate them by doing it like they're doing in Xinjiang province? How? You educate them by understanding why they do what they're doing, why 600,000 people, young and old, that was out there looking, going out there, despite threats, casting a vote in an unofficial primary. Why? Okay, uh, That's the question. All right, this is, uh, there's another, one more question we can squeeze in, I think, before the news at 9 o'clock, and perhaps uh, Andrew Lung could, could address this. Uh, this is from Tom, who says, reading the fine print of the executive order, uh, two clauses seem to be directly targeted at Hong Kong people. Could the guest comment any other way these could be interpreted? That's a, that's a clause about uh, eliminating the preference for Hong Kong passport holders as compared to PRC passport holders, so they'll be treated the same, and getting rid of the Fulbright Exchange Programme with regard 
regard to China and Hong Kong for future uh, exchange. Uh, Andrew Lung, any thoughts on that? Are they, would those affect uh, negatively Hong Kong? Are they targeted at Hong Kong people? Well, I think as far as uh, Hong Kong's uh, passports, uh, Hong Kong's SAR passports are concerned, it still enjoys a high degree of acceptance. But whether or not this uh, high degree of acceptance will be eroded remains to be seen. As I said, uh, a great deal of the impact uh, of this national security law uh, still um, remains in the pudding. Um, but I think that uh, at the end of the day, um, if Beijing really wants Hong Kong, one country, two systems to succeed, uh, as I kept on saying, that the, um, turning Hong Kong into another, another Shanghai it doesn't make sense for Beijing. Um, but um, herein lies the, uh, I think, the crux of the matter is that there is the uh, umbrella movement and the protests um, managed to consolidate um, uh, the Hong Kong people, a, a great deal of Hong Kong people's desire for the greater degree of democracy, particularly in terms of the universal suffrage. Now, let's not forget that universal suffrage as I pointed out, as inserted into the basic law and not in the joint declaration. Um, but the condition is that these uh, candidates must be pre-screened in the sense that there is big, in this kind of atmosphere uh, of uh, distrust uh, of a lot of Beijing, anti-Beijing uh, kind of politicians. Uh, there is no way that Beijing would have it a free for all. But that's not democratic. And uh, I think that Hong, a lot of Hong Kong people do not accept this reality. Um, in, in fact, I, I kept on saying that perfection is the enemy of the good. Um, and of course, that the, and, uh, allowing a free-for-all um, in the eyes of Beijing could really uh, threaten uh, the one country. OK, we're going to continue after the news at nine. Andrew Lang staying with us, but we say goodbye for the moment to Michael Chigani. Thank you very much indeed, veteran TV host and journalist. Others uh, will be joining us after the news at nine. Uh, please join them. Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. And we've got the Facebook up now uh, as well. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Do join in. The weather mainly fine, apart from some isolated showers. Very hot again during the day. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees. Staying mainly fine and very hot in the next couple of days with some isolated showers. 29 degrees is now humidity 82%. The strength of the finding was, the scientists say, unprecedented. The clearest evidence so far of the effect of climate change on a weather event. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Thursday morning with Karen Coe and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about that uh, introduction of the uh, uh, Trump uh, Autonomy Act. Uh, that will uh, end uh, Hong Kong's special status under U.S. law. And we t- uh, haven't uh, really talked a little bit about uh, Beijing uh, reaction. Uh, we're mulling over the consequences with Andrew Leung, international and independent China strategist, former Director General of Social Welfare. We're also joined now by Edward Chin, hedge fund manager, convener of 2047 Hong Kong Monitor. Uh, and we're trying to get hold also of uh, David Zweig, uh, former, former academic in Hong Kong and director of Transnational China Consulting Limited. Uh, please join us by emailing backchat at rthk.hk, by commenting on our Facebook page, which is now up and running, backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or by calling us, and our number is 233 We'll put you on air. You can say what you like. 
TC on Facebook says, as I mentioned before, the Autonomy Act is an American domestic legislation. It's within the US sovereign rights to decide who can enter and do business in their country. The Chinese government can, can compile their own list of people or entities to sanction. On the other hand, the Autonomy Act does have a similar feeling to the national security law, as the former doesn't define what constitutes materially contributed to China's failure to comply with the joint declaration or the basic law, unquote, and what constitutes, quote, significant transaction with such identi identified individuals or entities, unquote. Most importantly, the Autonomy Act is only meaningful if President Trump actually implements sanctions. So let's not prematurely celebrate. That comes uh, from... TC. S says, I wonder how many of the officials who are reacting to the US ruling would actually choose to send their children to study in neighbouring countries rather than the UK, US, Australia, uh, etc. Uh, Mike says, I can hardly stand it. Your guest speaker's just muddied the water. Michael hit the nail on the head. Your other speaker just jabber. Stop him. That comes uh, from uh, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for that. Back to rthk.hk. Okay, so um, let's bring Edward Chin into the conversation. Edward Chin, good morning to you. Edward Chin, um, can you, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Yes, hi. So first of all, what's your reaction to first uh, the U.S. president's executive order and the way that China has reacted so far? I think what how the U.S. reacted, it's, it's something that, you know, like as a Hong Konger and also as people who work in finance, you know, our, our feelings are, are mixed. Because first of all, without talking about President Trump, you know, we should think about whether the one country, two systems is still intact. And of course, obviously, after the announcement on June 30th, I think Beijing doesn't really follow what Deng Xiaoping promised, you know, like and you can see right now we are really in some sort of a cold war. And then I think a lot of corporates and also SMEs, they are planning. You know, they, they have a backup plan and then they have a business continuity plan. If they have a different regional headquarters, even Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary from the U.S. says that if you have a few regional headquarters, think about relocating people. I think this is becoming more real. But, you know, like they like to use the term Lam Tao, which is like a self-destruction. I, I think the con condemnation should go to the Beijing side and also to the Hong Kong government. I mean, back a few years ago, if we were really given one person, one vote without pre-screening, and even before the Occupy Center from six years ago, I think things will be quite different. But right now, you know, like we will be in, be in going through a very painful period. Even you know, the Beijing government talk about they want to tax the Chinese citizens working in Hong Kong to have a 45% tax, personal income tax. Who knows what would happen to Hong Kong if they have this self-destruction mode. I'm, I'm a little bit worried even how personal income tax would be raised. Same as corporate. So these are things that we as Hong Kongers need to be thinking very carefully. A backup plan of sorts. What about those people in the business community who, who are the most powerful people in the business community in Hong Kong who are already tied to China? I mean, they will they be very much affected? I think, you know, those who were outspoken, including foreigners who renounced their overseas citizenship, and probably there are a few of us here 
who did it. Um, shame to them, honestly. They didn't say a word. They didn't say, you know, like, hey, let's hold back a little bit. Now, the real estate tycoons from Hong Kong, most of them, and I think Lee Cushing definitely, he has made his plans years ago. But those who are less global, you know, they, they, they keep silent. I mean, if they, if they team up together and say, hey, this NSL thing is, is bad for Hong Kong, let's, let's go back to get Hong Kong to build real elections. And who, who needs these so-called draconian measures against Hong Kong people? Now, we even have this, um, secret agent, you know, like an office that's set up near Victoria Park, you know, with the, I don't know whether it's 300 people or not. They, they could, they could grab you and then interrogate you inside their hotel, right? And then should foreigners and also even local Hong Kong business people be concerned? This goes back to last year in the extradition bill, you know, that was finally retracted. Of course, this, this is evil. We all know that because without transparency, without democracy, and even without press freedom, we just learned that Chris Buckley, the journalist, investigative journalist from New York Times, is not renewed, you know, like a, His visa. a working visa. Mm. I, I'm shocked because I read these news. I mean, people don't just read the the big screen and look at the, uh, the stock market going up or down. We, we want quality information and transparency. So, and then Beijing doesn't give us that confidence. Um, Andrew Leung, maybe you can address that. I mean, what you had mentioned earlier was all the tangibles. Yes, the, the Hong Kong dollar, US dollar peg still exists. We still have access to US dollar markets. But it's the intangibles that matter. I mean, the image, the perception that Hong Kong is no longer a trusted partner with the US, um, that things like scholar Fulbright program will be suspended, the cooperation with police will, will no longer take place. Those are the things that, that also matter. Well, naturally, uh, what underpins uh, Hong Kong's special status is the Hong Kong's uh, rule of law. Not rule by law, but rule of law. Uh, the highly regarded, internationally regarded independent judiciary. Um, and then um, uh, due process, um, and of course freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, all these are the ingredients uh, that make Hong Kong different. Now, with the imposition of this law, obviously there is foreboding, a sense of foreboding. Um, but as I, as I said, um, Beijing has been um, uh, extra careful in, in crafting this law, although uh, done in a hurry. Uh, rumor has it that the law was um, first thought, thought about and, and, and really started to gather steam in October uh, last year uh, at the height of the um, uh, the protest are turning more and more violent um, with uh, signs of, um, you know, sort of uh, verging uh, towards uh, uh, autonomy, independence, uh, not autonomy, but, but um, self-determination and independence um, that really worried Beijing. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it really uh, boils down to how the law is implemented. But Hong Kong, be that as it may, though, um, um, a recent survey of American Chamber of Commerce um, uh, points to the fact that most of American businesses uh, would like to stay, and they're not taking, uh, making a hasty exit, uh, a hasty uh, move, uh, to, uh, rush towards the exit. Um, but people are taking precautions, um, especially Hong Kong, uh, some uh, Hong Kong people with uh, the university students. And I think that there's going to be uh, more and more Hong Kong students who are 
um, whose parents qualify for the British National uh, Nationality Passport, a BNO, um, would apply for for this um, kind of um, uh, uh, the route. But that's, that's not a good thing to have people running for the exits, is it? It's not a positive thing when your citizens are looking for an out because well, they don't trust, they don't, they don't feel at home anymore. No, I think that uh, Beijing knows that there's the price to pay. Uh, but I think compared with the threat uh, to its um, uh, vulnerability or national security, you know, Beijing has decided you know, just to implement it regardless. Um, but I think the Hong Kong people have got to adjust it, and I think we all have got to adjust it and see how things pan out. At the end of the day, um, Hong Kong remains different. If, you know, in the eyes of Beijing, one country, two system is great for, you know, it served China well for all these years. But the fear is that it's um, hollowing out um, the sense of the one country. Now we have lost a whole generation of Hong Kong people who have got no sense of nationhood. I mean, they, they, they don't regard themselves as Chinese anymore. Now, that's not uh, anybody's fault. I think the war falls lies in the, um, the lack of, 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 of attention to this field. Um, but I think that in the eyes of Beijing, what should be the, the ideal is that Hong Kong continue to be free, but with a high sense of nationhood, uh, regardless of the, the what and all. You know, like myself, I mean, I, 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 before I could and learn my English alphabet. I've already speak in, in, in Chinese classics. But I, I, I still regard myself as, as, as Chinese, but not a lot of the people in Hong Kong. So I think that this kind of thing needs to be uh, built up. And everybody, uh, myself included, wants Hong Kong to be as free as possible, but then not in such a way um, and, and, uh, as to really um, threaten Beijing's red line. Um, after all, Beijing is our, is, 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 is our parent. So you, you, it's got to be very carefully managed. Um, I think Hong Kong is likely to remain different um, under one country, country two systems. The original perception uh, of one country two system, uh, I think, has changed in a sense that you can't just maximize the two, two systems, you know, just threatening the one country. Um, I think that, that, that requires carefully uh, balancing act uh, on the part of everybody involved. Is it the end of Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong? Well, in a way... Um, uh, I mean, that almost Kong sounds like country. you could get arrested for saying that now. Yeah, well, uh, Hong Kong, let's not forget right from the very start, uh, Hong Kong is not a country. The chief executive is, uh, is the risk, has got to be responsible uh, to Beijing. This, that's in, included in the basic law. Uh, Hong Kong, as they are, is, is part of China. But of course, Hong Kong is given a high degree of autonomy as defined under the basic law. Now, all, uh, there's a, it's a wide range of flexibility there. And I think what I've been saying is that more and more, um, the envelope has been pushed uh, to such an extent, Beijing feels really threatened, really pushed into the corner. And that combines with the global um, uh, kind of AMD Beijing uh, tsunami, as it were. Um, but I think Beijing Beijing's has brought that on itself by, by its own unilateral actions. I mean, Beijing is the one who has built out its um, bases in the South China Sea, just unilaterally declaring new sea borders. Uh, Beijing is the one who has uh, not opened its markets, despite having access to markets all over the world and demanding uh, markets all over the world. So it's, it's really, I don't see how it can feel it's in a corner. I'm allowed to respond to that, uh, even though some people I'm trying to muddy the waters because, because that's, that's not...
as one-sided as one, one as it seems. Uh, talking about the South China Sea, first of all, um, let's not forget that uh, for many years uh, China's looking, you know, paying attention to this economy because a lot of people are mired in poverty. Um, over the years, China's managed to lift lift out, uh, lift up um, out of poverty, um, uh, something like 700, 700 million people. Um, it's really a miracle um, in, in history uh, in such a short time. Um, but then as China grows bigger, its economy, um, of course, increasingly dependent uh, on the import of, uh, on trade, actually. China de- much depends on international trade, much more dependent uh, on international trade compared with the United States. In the United States, the bulk of the economy is driven by internal consumption. Even though the United States doesn't do any international trade, it doesn't affect the United States. But China is an existential threat. And a lot of this trade passes through the South China Sea. All right? um, and, then, and not only trade, but import of raw materials, of energy. It passes through various choke points. Um, the first choke point is the Malacca Strait. What's the Malacca Strait outside Singapore? It, head, it is the headquarter of the um, Pacific Seventh Fleet. Uh, the United States Seventh Fleet. And then it passes through um, the, the port of Homos, H-O-R-M-U-Z, uh, outside Iran. Now, what happens over there is beyond China's control, but that actually a lot of energy coming through there. So China's feels uh, its, its input, its lifeblood, is, is increasingly being threatened. Don't forget in the Asia-Pacific, there's the so-called first island chain, second island chain, controlled by the United States. So if you are back in, in China, you feel that your economic lifeblood is being threatened. Obviously, you would put in hand actions to uh, fortify um, your, your defence. Okay, and the national security legislation is yeah. an aspect of that. All right, David Zweig joins us now, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Professor Zweig, or David. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us today. Uh, how, how do you see, uh, what's your reaction to uh, Donald Trump making this uh, autonomy uh, act? What do you think the consequences will be for us over here in Hong Kong? Some of it is ridiculous. Uh, You know, I mean, it's not... He he signed the act, so it's really a a congressional uh, law, um, and he approved it. Uh, Some people thought that he might not approve it, but it got such a large majority. I I hope I'm not repeating stuff that people have already said. Tell me if if I am here. So someone had made that point that he... Yeah, anyway, but carry on. Yeah, go on. Right, so that, that he, he, he might have not pushed it through um, because he tries or often to protect China. You see tough policies come out and then he backs off. Um, but, uh, I mean, for me, the most ridiculous uh, thing, but it's not the most uh, sort of dangerous thing for Hong Kong, but just the whole banning of Fulbright program. I mean, I went, I went nuts when I read that, right? So, you, so now they're going to not let Hong Kong students and researchers go to the United States and learn more about America or let Americans come to Hong Kong and learn more about Hong Kong. I mean, that's one of the minor things in the decision, but it's just a, a, the kind of stupidity um, uh, that uh, the U.S. Congress can come up with. Um, the big, I think I've been told that the, the real big threat is whether or not money can be exchanged, whether 
punishment is, the, you know, that they will punish somehow the economic sanctions or the economic punishment uh, will, you know, take away uh, the, the exchange of U.S. dollars for Hong Kong dollars, uh, because that would really cripple uh, the economy. So hopefully that won't happen. Um, uh, what, what are the chances that... Uh, I, 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 can I ask David, what are the chances that other countries are going to are going to follow? We have the G7 uh, sort of uh, chipping in, and then Japan and so on in, in condemning the national security legislation. Do you think that uh, G7, Australia, and Japan, and the EU, and and so on, are they likely to start introducing measures, stopping extradition, tightening visas, well, and Canadians those kinds of things? Already, the Canadians, the Canadians have already stopped extradition. Uh, with Hong Kong. So I think mm. that that mm. will probably be an outcome that uh, that will be pretty widely uh, carried out. Um, uh, I think that that's, that that's that's a likelihood. The other thing that, you know, that's not crazy if you're the United States and doesn't hurt Hong Kong so much um, is the blocking of high-tech uh, uh, trade. So if, if they won't, you know, there are certain, you look through the, the bill and there are certain uh, listing of the kinds of things that they would stop and one of the things that they clearly want to stop and it's in there. And I think it was always part of the uh, this Trump administration's policy anyway, is to limit uh, dual use technology. So the technology that can be used for both civilian and military use so that's finished. So, um, where it used to be able to come into Hong Kong and then be moved into the mainland. So that's finished. And then from the American perspective, uh, that's not so crazy uh, because, you know, they're, they're really having troubles with China. So in that sense, it really targets China. But the problem is when they do policies that really hurt Hong Kong, um, that, uh, that that's where the things get stupid, and and that's where the Fulbright just jumped out at me. I mean, how does that hurt China if Hong Kong people don't understand? I mean, it, it hurts the United States if Hong Kong people don't have a better knowledge and understanding of America or Americans have a better understanding of Hong Kong. Uh, so those kinds of exchanges. But I don't have a problem with dual-use technology. So, David, uh, do, you, do you think this act is designed to punish China, or is it designed to punish Hong Kong, which is what it well, feels like here? Right. Well, no, I understand that. That's my point, right? That's the point I'm making, which is that it really should be targeted to punish China if they want to do that, if they feel that they need to do that to punish China. And there's too many things, potentially, uh, things in this that could really punish Hong Kong. Um, but I'm not sure what specifics, you know, uh, uh, other than extradition and dual-use technology, what else is in there that really at this point, you know, the banks, the American banks have been lobbying uh, the, the U.S. government to make sure that they don't include things like uh, difficulty in currency flows, uh, because that would really end the financial role of Hong Kong. What, what else? What else in Hong Kong are people looking at this and, and getting worried about? Tell me. Uh, 
I don't know, Edward Chin, do you want to, do you want yes. to say the, answer that question? What, what are people looking at? And also, is this, is this punishing uh, us uh, rather than Beijing? Well, that's... that's Edward Chin, yeah, yeah, Edward yeah. Chin. Well, I think... I don't want to use the word punish. I mean, what else is left on the table? I really think, you know, like with uh, having these uh, strong measures that just uh, came up from President Donald Trump, you know, definitely there has to be some sort of a negotiation. You know, like the Beijing side, that uh, nothing is negotiable. But, you know, like putting, putting the so-called Chinese law superimposed into the basic law is something I, can, I cannot set on myself. I mean, this, this, is, this is something I think if you ask 10 people on the street, 11 would pop it and say they don't like it. But those who are member of the National People's Congress or member of the political consultative conference, of course, they, they would say, you know, welcome this. And then you, you see the, the head of um, HSBC. But that's not, that's not really answering my question, right? So my question was, what do Hong Kong people see? I mean, other than, it's, I think it's the same thing with almost the national security law. What do Hong Kong people see? that the Americans have done that specifically harms Hong Kong other than, I mean, there's risks in what they've said because they could go broader, but, but what exactly is there other than extradition, something like Fulbright, academic exchanges? I mean, universities could suffer from this if there's... Well, uh, well there's a passports. Uh, well, passports will be treated the same as, as, as yeah. mainland passports. That, that's that's a real problem. Yes, that's a good point. Um, and the visas, the difficulty of visas, and the, stu the difficulty for students to get visas, right? So that's that that makes Hong Kong people feel that they're being punished by this. I honestly, I think at it's a, a higher level, for the U.S. government to do that. I mean, it's not even up to Carrie Lam to say anything. I mean, this this is this is how negotiation is done, right? So this, this is all, all the bad stuff that comes out from the U.S. side, and then Beijing should have a talk with the rest of the world. I mean, you mentioned about G7 and all that, and, and definitely a lot of countries, they, they see that Hong Kong people are under duress. Unless you are, you don't, you don't see it. I mean, this chilling effect was surreal over the last two months or so. I mean... Nobody expected this NS housing, you know, was uh, this harsh to Hong Kong people. I mean, right, we don't want Hong Kong to become another Tibet or, or like it's Xinjiang. And it's uh, going that way. And I, I won't blame the U.S. by having this uh, sort of a sanction. Of course, whether they do it or not, how they implement it. You mentioned about the full bright scholarship thing. Who knows? All right, some, some, com some more comments from listeners. Hang on. Uh, uh, Sid on Facebook says, One country, two systems was designed for Taiwan. Its prototype is Tibet in the 1950s. The fact told us that uh, one plus two in Tibet is a lie. And as Taiwan now widely wakes up, one plus two for uh, Taiwan is meaningless. Hence, I don't think the CCP really want to keep it there. What they want to do is make Hong Kong a politically mainland. 
Uh, Mike says a banker friend explained that if taken to extreme, this new law could allow Carrie Lam to could be sanctioned for ignoring the joint declaration and have her bank accounts frozen. Why? Banks sign worldwide agreements and those agreements hold banks to US standards. If banks ignore those agreements, they also can be sanctioned. Imagine HSBC sanctioned. No business in the States. This is really a mess. Thank you, CCP. That comes uh, from uh, Mike. And uh, Peter says, uh, Michael, maybe Michael Chigani, who was in the first part of the program, could contrast the statement and levels of support the US and other Western governments of the Hong Kong anti-government movement with how those countries handle criticism and support of opposition movements in their own countries. The US and Europe are extremely concerned about interference in their own domestic affairs. Officials in the US have been charged for suspected collusion with Russia. Chinese students and researchers are being targeted using national security laws and anti-treason laws in the US. But Western countries and its mass, mass media hold themselves to a different standard when it comes to Hong Kong and China. Perhaps they still perceive themselves as imperial power and believe that the US and Western governments, not China, have a final say in Hong Kong affairs and that the West has a veto power. The US has a history and long list of regime change operations and manufacturing consent, especially through its 1900-plus think tanks and the Council on Foreign Relations, which is dominated by media and ex-government officials. The Hong Kong and central government might reveal any evidence they have on foreign interference and influence operation during upcoming trials under the national security legislation that comes from from peter david zweig any comment on that you agree um well you know there there is some degree and i think that, that um, uh, i was worried before about the the new um hong kong act the hong kong freedom and democracy act uh seeing that to a certain extent as uh, the united states uh, engaging in some degree of interference in Hong Kong's politics, which I think in part reinforces, as one of your uh, uh, speakers has said, reinforces Beijing's worry uh, of the Americans being involved. But, but you know, I mean, if, if there is, I guess, an effort in this bill to try and uh, make it more costly for... Uh, people like Carrie Lam or for other government officials to carry out uh, uh, trials of dissidents in Hong Kong, and I think particularly if people get sent north. But I get, I, you know, I guess to a certain extent, uh, the, the the idea is to try and make Hong Kong officials be more cautious yeah, in terms of the, the the person who wrote the email about American interference and trying to carry out regime change. I mean, I don't disagree with that at all, but but I think that for a long time, Americans were not very involved in Hong Kong uh, in terms of regime change. They were in, involved to a certain extent in, you know, training, training Hong Kong people to participate in politics and to participate effectively in politics. So that's what the NDI or the you know, the, the training, the democratic institute, institutions from the U.S. were trying to do. You were going to say something, you? Uh, no, I was going to say we were out of time, unfortunately. There's a million more questions, but... Uh um, oh, yeah, go on, I will anyway. <laughs> Andrew, we're off. Uh, uh, but Andrew Lang, I'm just very curious because you're a former official. I mean, if if they come up with, if they sanction Carrie Lam or Chris Tang or whoever you want to name, um, 
uh, like that, and, and they freeze their bank accounts and they stop their family f going traveling to the U the US and maybe other countries uh, as well. Uh, could could you imagine that happening? And what would the what would the consequences be of that? Do you think? Do you think uh, that would that win support in Hong Kong? Well, I think a lot of Hong Kong people, of course, are uh, uh, supporting in support of democracy, high uh, level of democracy, um, and and a few of the. Um, um, uh, the protesters uh, side with uh, what the U.S. is doing. But I think that so far the sanctions and, and various other uh, threats are well calibrated. Um, and, but at the end of the day, what is worrying for Beijing is not so much the immediate imposition of this law, it's the looming uh, threat of a plot which has been aired in the open with this so-called 10-point plan to seize control of the legislature and to uh, obstruct each and every major policy, including uh, the budget, so that according to the basic law, if it is uh, uh, obstructed twice and not passed twice, the chief executive had got to stem, step down, and then the whole uh, legislature would dissolve, and Hong Kong would descend into pandemonium. And that seems to can be I ask a quick the question about that is worried right. about. But can I ask a quick question about that? But, but if, you take, if you take most democracies, Right? If the president has one party and the legislature is from another and the legislature uses its authority to make it difficult for the executive, then the executive is forced to negotiate with the legislature. And so the, the natural outcome of a confrontation should be that Carrie Lamb would sit down with the Democrats and say, all right, I want to do this policy. You don't want to do this. How can we come to some kind of solution? But as of yet, the, the Hong Kong government has no interest in negotiating, no interest in, in discussing any of these points. And I think that that's a, you know, to, to make, to, to then accuse the Democrats of trying to use their control of the legislature to then be breaking the national security law and be guilty of subversion is exactly what people are worried about. Okay. And if they go ahead and do that, then they will completely convince the Hong Kong people that the purpose of the national security law is to uh, end democracy and end the functioning of democratic institutions. All right, we've got to end the program. Uh, we're com completely out of time and then some. David Zweig, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited. Many thanks to Andrew Lung, International and Independent China Strategist uh, and uh, former Director General of Social Welfare. Edward Chin, Head Fund Manager and Convener 2047 Hong Kong Monitor. Karen, many thanks to you thank and you, to dear. our producer, Michelle. As ever, the weather mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. Very hot, 30 degrees now, humid.